This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.co.uk. This is Internet Marketing. Now, before we start today, some shameless self-promotion because Site Visibility have just released their 2020 PPC automation guide. It's completely free to download and it'll help you get started on each of the new automation settings within Google Ads. So this includes smart bidding, responsive ad testing, dynamic search ads and more. The best way to accelerate your PPC growth in 2020 is to start planning today. So download your free guide at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash PPC dash automation dash guide. Now, today I'm joined by Toby Britton, co-founder and CMO at MyAppy. Toby, hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Now, you're based in on the South Bank in London, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Just behind the Ox Hotel. Uh, we've been there for uh, about six or seven years. And I know that I don't have to ask you what the weather's doing because we're pretty much in the same area. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm down in Kent, but it's pretty grey, isn't it, at the moment? Dreek, I think, as they say in Scotland. Just kind of non-weather. Dreek, that's a new word. I've never heard of that one before. Dreek, it's a thing. Let's start off with less of the meteorology. Uh, yeah, tell us about yourself and tell us about MyAppy. Yeah, so we started, myself and two co-founders started MyAppy uh, six or seven years ago. Um, and it was a slightly different proposition when we started. We wanted to help individuals collect together all of their social media feeds and put it in one place. But fairly quickly, we switched that model to become a, a B2B model and Yes. So we are a software as a service platform and our main objective is to help brands find consumer generated content, typically out on social media, although not exclusively. Um, But once they found that, we help them bring that into our dashboard where they can curate it and then play it back at their convenience to different audiences who may not have heard that positive sentiment on social media in the first place. Now, I want to talk about uh, consumer-generated content. Let's start off with that term, earned media, because I know some people get slightly confused about that. Can we have a, a good definition of earned media? I'll do my best. I mean, we use consumer-generated content, user-generated content, UGC, um, and earned media fairly interchangeably. But I think the idea behind earned media really is you have done enough out there in social media or just by making a great product or offering a great service uh, for people to be talking about it. You've earned that respect effectively. Uh, You've earned that positive sentiment. Um, So if people are talking about you widely uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever it may be, why not tune into that and harness that positive uh, vibe? We hear about uh, first-party content and third-party content. What are the differences? What, what are the, how does that work? What's the sort of definition behind that? Yeah, well, third-party content is, is what we've talked about briefly there. It's, it's content that we are getting on behalf of the brands from third-party sites like Instagram, like Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube. Um, the brand doesn't have immediately a direct relationship with that individual, whereas first-party content, in our context at least, is being able to encourage the consumer to talk to you directly, perhaps create content specifically for your brand campaign, and then maybe upload that directly to a website. 
So at that point, you know, you have a direct relationship with the consumer. And not only have you got the piece of content and perhaps some information about that person, but perhaps you can go on to foster a better relationship with them and bring them into a brand community, which which hopefully we can touch on. Now, let's talk about a little bit about the the benefits of uh, consumer generated content and perhaps if you've got some examples of specifically who's using it. The benefits are fairly obvious, we think. I mean, it's, it's sort of the oldest story in the world, isn't it? It's, it's a digital version of word of mouth. And yeah. it, it's not it's not a new idea, really, but perhaps it's it's quite a recent invention to be able to capture that and, and play that back. It's not something that uh, should be confused, we think, anyway, with uh, with influencer content. That is very specific in that it's it's paid for by the brands. The brands are paying individual influencers to say positive things about their brands or services. Um, whereas what we consider consumer-generated content is not that. It's organic. It's authentic. People are not saying it because they're being paid to say it. They're saying it because they like your brand, they like your service, and they like your product. Um, and they want to tell their friends and peer group about it. So that's the benefit, really. It's authentic. And when you play that back to a different audience, people really tune into it. Other consumers generally believe that um, more than they might do a brand-owned message. And I think these days also, it's fair to say that I think there's a bit of a shine coming off the influencer community, both from a consumer perspective and a brand perspective. From a consumer perspective, they know now, if they didn't before, I think a lot of people realize that yeah, these people are being paid to say these nice things. And there have been some notable recent examples. You know, there was some uh, reality stars, I think, recently who were duped into saying positive things about a, a spoof brand that contains cyanide. Mm. Uh, and, basically, you know, and it's that sort of thing. And that's not an, an isolated case. Brands, on the other hand, I think are becoming increasingly cynical about influencers because they know that the, the consumer perhaps doesn't have the trust that they once had, but also some of the influencers have been gaming the system a bit. They've been buying followers, buying comments, buying likes to inflate their apparent popularity. Yeah. And consumer-generated content is the antidote to that, um, and, and brands tune into that. So we work with a variety of brands in lots of different sectors. I mean, it's actually... You know, user-generated content is fairly sector agnostic. So we work with travel and tourism. We work with um, experiences. We worked with CPG, FMCG companies, um, and automotive, and everything in between, really. Um, and they use it to great effect. I was just wondering, because I know that your company, you help um, organizations sort of collate I was going to say user-generated, actually. It's more, I think a better word is, I, I prefer your definition of consumer-generated content. Yeah, it's more descriptive, isn't it? It is, yeah. What's the best way of presenting this to your potential clients? What, what are some sort of do's and don'ts? From our brand perspective, we have a platform that is very easy to demonstrate to clients because actually when we have a prospect who comes to us and says, you know, we might be interested in using user-generated content, consumer-generated content, but we're not quite... We're not quite there yet. We can effectively build a profile for them, what we call a profile. It's any collection of social media feeds. Mm. So we will go and find the hashtags relevant to that brand. We will begin to populate our dashboard with pieces of content. Now, that might be tens, 
hundreds or even thousands of pieces of content. If people are chatting about your brand online, you know, th- those conversations can be uh, extensive and, uh, you know, you might have literally hundreds or thousands of pieces of comments in a day. So actually, from our point of view, it's quite, it, it's quite a, um, an easy way for us to sell and or to at least prove the value of the platform. Mm. We build, we add these hashtags, we start collecting that content immediately. And then the following day or the following week when we talk to that client, we say, well, listen, don't take our word for it. Here it is. Look at the content that is out there that you are missing. Um, these are the conversations happening every day and we can be capturing that for you. What you do with it is up to you. I mean, the brands can take it, they can um, collate it, curate it, and put it on the best bits on their website, for example. Um, That's particularly relevant for brands that are e-commerce. So they can, and and your listeners may have have seen this on on websites already, whether it's us or, uh, you know, competitors of ours, putting bits of user-generated content photography on the purchase path at the on on the product page, for example, where they the customer is reviewing the product, and instead of just having pack shots on there, they've got pack shots, and beside that or below that, they might have pictures of people using that product in the in the real world. Mm. And we found with um, our clients uh, that there's a big uptick in basket size, for example, when you demonstrate, hey, this is how your peer group are using it. It just makes it more relatable, humanizes it more. Mm. So that's a great example of how it could be used on a website. But beyond that, our clients do other stuff with it that we sometimes didn't even anticipate. Um, They can put it on big screens at live events. They can put it on smaller screens in retail stores. But they can also actually take it off our platform and do other stuff with it. So we work with Cornetto, um, one of our Unilever brands. And they seek consent from the person who's posted that, let's say somebody posted it on Instagram, they reach out to that person on Instagram and say, hey, uh, love that piece of content, would you mind if we use it in our marketing activities? And if they get that consent, and most of the time they do actually, they can then take it off our platform and use it as their own. And they can be as creative as they like with that. They can turn that into pieces of video. Typically um, for Cornetto, they regram it, they push it back out on their um, Instagram channel, their global Instagram channel. Um, and it's very highly engaged actually. So yes, that is a key thing is being creative. It's not just about sticking a little widget on a website. It's about seeing this content for what it is, the benefits it's authentic and people like that, but actually beyond that, it's always on. So it's the sort of, you know, an evergreen stream of content, if you like. Um, and when you play that back to uh, an audience, they love it. Uh, further than that, you know, it actually replaces some of your need to take stock photography or commission a, um, an agency to create the content for you. So it's it's economical as well. Yeah. You mentioned something quite interesting there. You mentioned about uh, one of the things that you do is you, you, you tag these various bits of content. Do you think that's something that's quite difficult to sort of convey to people that might be writing content on you? And what, what what do you think companies should do to try and get people to tag their uh, their content correctly, or is it not even possible in your opinion? I th- well, you, you make a very good point there because some companies have uh, conversations going on whether they like it or not on social media. Mm. Not all of that is positive, as we know, but you know the vast majority of the time, people are are given to saying positive things. Um, if, if they like the brand, they like the service, they'll say nice stuff about it. 
But you're right, not everybody uh, will automatically think of hashtagging that uh, product or service or at mentioning you as a brand. Now, brands can um, obviously make life easier for them. They sort of get out what they put in. And if they run campaigns to drive consumers to use that hashtag, they have a call to action on their marketing materials, then it's much more likely that they're going to see an uptick in the volume of conversations that happen on social media. Um, it's not just about social media, though. Uh, we've got, a, a to quote another Unilever case study that we're working on still, we've been working on it for a year, we're just starting year two, but it's uh, working with Dove, and it's called Project Show Us, and it's about empowering ordinary women and other individuals from around the world to upload their story and effectively shatter beauty stereotypes. And this is a campaign that they've put a lot of effort into. Um, and as a result, they've won a Can Lions Award actually last year. So it's, it's a great success already. But the objective there is not just to get them talking about it on social media. There is a hashtag, hashtag show us. Um, and there are many, many thousands of comments out there. But their marketing activity actually drives the consumer to regional campaign pages. Um, 15 different countries have actually run it so far. And once they're on that page, they can upload their content to the brand via Miapi, via us, using a form, their name, their the city they're in, but crucially, their story and an image to accompany that story. And that's another way of capturing the content. But to your original point, yeah, it's fair to say that they have put a bit of marketing spend behind that to drive the consumer to the campaign page in the first place. But I think the the essence there is brands are going to get out what they put in. The more they publicize their campaign using a hashtag as a call to action, um, the more conversations they're going to have. Now, you mentioned earlier about you, you were drawing um, the, the difference, or you, you just alluded to drawing the difference between community marketing for brands and versus sort of influencer marketing. Could you just expand on that just slightly for us? Yeah, actually, that relates also to, for example, the Dove campaign. Mm. Their objective there was to find what they termed hand raises. Now, that's another way of saying perhaps organic influencers. These are people saying the right thing about the brand, not because they're being paid to say it, but because they love the brand. They love what it stands for. Um, so it's entirely natural to find these people, hand raisers, um, and once they've found them, the brand wants to communicate with them. Because if they've said the right thing once and they've taken a beautiful photograph or a lovely video, um, who's to say they're not going to do that again and again and again? Mm. So why not create a community? So whereas, you know, perhaps brands are traditionally, I say traditionally, you know, in the last few years, they're used to paying influencers to say nice things about them. I think there's definitely a tendency to look actually more to the grassroots again, to the real consumers. And once they've found those people, don't just let, you know, don't just, uh, we can capture great bits of content all day long, of course, but brands are now beginning to look beyond that. Once they've identified a good bit of content, they look behind it to see, okay, so this person is capable of writing beautiful things and taking beautiful photography about my brand. Mm. How can we, how can we harness that? And how the brand chooses to reward them, um, that's up to them. Um, they could 
give them a financial incentive to do that. That could give them products to do that or experiences. Mm. But equally, some brands don't want to do that because it's not part of their DNA. They don't want to induce people to say nice things. That's almost getting back to an influencer again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes they might, alternatively, they might want to give a charity donation on behalf of the consumer. So it doesn't always have to be a financial transaction. Um, and certainly some brands want to keep it really pure. They want the consumer to come to them because they like to. But nevertheless, they want to reward them in certain ways. I've heard people be quite scathing about influencer marketing. Do, do you feel, Toby, that it's influencer marketing is a little bit of sort of too much on the dark side these days? I do. Um, I think there have been a raft of um, quite high publicity, um, highly profiled cases of influencers promoting things that they they wouldn't otherwise have used. So one of the examples I talked about earlier was when some influencers, reality TV stars, I believe, were duped into promoting a product uh, that actually contained cyanide mm. and they published that um, to their followers, encouraged them to, to buy this spoof product. And uh, that's just one of many examples. And I, so I think it has got somewhat out of control. I'm not saying that uh, all influencers would do that, or clearly not. No. But I think brands are, are looking at it again with slightly fresh eyes. And what I think is going to probably happen is that um, there'll be a place for these organic influencers, we are trying to encourage real people talking about real products and their authentic experiences unpaid, but there will still be a world and a place for the influencers, but they, they probably are going to have to um, bear a little bit more scrutiny than they have done in the past. And I know there's definitely a tendency to go to the micro-influencer anyway, you know, more niche influencers who have smaller followings and a more intimate relationship with their followers. I think that's to be encouraged. Well, Toby, thanks so much for talking to us today. So we've covered um, sort of digitizing word of mouth, uh, consumer-generated content. What one thing should our listeners go away with, do you think, from uh, uh, thinking about this as they go about their daily activities? Uh, can I have two? Um, well, yes, you can one have two. Is, one is to, well, give user-generated content a try. I mean, it, it's, it's basically people saying good stuff about your brand. Why not use it? But when you use it, how you use it, my, I think the key point is be creative with it. Yes, take it, put it on a website. That is brilliant. And, and for some brands, that is enough, uh, like e-commerce brands. But for other brands, actually just treating user-generated content as a resource is, is the, the best idea. You can use it in print advertising, to make videos, to regram, to post out on your own social media channels, not to mention show it at events, show it in store, lots of places. So be creative is my uh, top tip, I think. Well, thanks so much for coming on. How can our listeners find out more about you and more about Miapi? Uh, listeners can go to miapi.com, of course, and uh, plenty of blog articles there. If they want to know even more, request a demo from us. We'll build you a profile even. We'll show you what content is available for you and your brand. And that is probably the best starting point for us to be able to describe what UGC can do for you. Beyond that, of course, you know, followers on LinkedIn, followers on Twitter using at um, Miapi. Toby Britton, thank you very much indeed. And thanks for listening, everybody. The show notes will be in the usual place. Sitevisibility.co.uk slash 
I M podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a fab review. That would be great. Uh, questions and suggestions. The email is podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk. You can tweet at sitevisibility. We have a site visibility group on LinkedIn. So that's all from me, Andy. And it's all from Toby. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Toby. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Thank you.